Hello, peoples, and welcome back to another episode of Esoterica Cinema, the podcast where we take films from the cinematic multiverse and discuss the hell out of them. I am your audio pinata of fun, Ryan Siebold, coming at you with another I Got Five on it five minute short movie review, giving you shelter from the storm while we prep season three. Find the buddies for life, right, Johnny? Fucking right. Today's film is 12 Monkeys from 1995, directed by Terry Gilliam. On the caveat that it would be given final cut and left to F alone by Universal Studios after being screwed with over his movie Brazil a decade earlier in 1985. I'm certainly glad that all came together because this movie was awesome. We're going to get into it. Google has this summarized as imprisoned in the 2030s. James Cole, played by Bruce Willis, is recruited for a mission that will send him back to the 1990s. Once there, he's supposed to gather information about a plague that's about to exterminate the vast majority of the world's population. But aside from Manic Jeffrey, played by Brad Pitt, he gets little in the way of cooperation, not least from medical gatekeepers like Dr. Catherine Rayleigh, played by Madeline Stowe. Remember Madeline Stowe? Yeah, she's in this. The movie also stars Christopher Plummer and Bart the Bear from The Great Outdoors, Legends of the Fall, and The Edge. Bart the Bear's in this. Was glad to see him. Now, before I go on, it is worth mentioning that this was a film I was kind of nervous to revisit. The 90s, especially the mid-90s, were rife with films that were either really, really good or just wrapped up in nostalgia from my childhood and uh, don't hold up very well. I was glad to find that this was the more in the former camp than the latter because this movie was fantastic. As I started to pull back the layers of this onion, I started to realize why this movie was so good. Uh, normally, I wouldn't go down the list of crew, um, so deeply, but I think it is worth mentioning because uh, this movie behind the scenes is stacked with talent. As previously mentioned, this movie was directed by Terry Gilliam coming off of the success of The Fisher King in 1991, and then he goes on to direct Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas right after this, which also still holds up as well. But one of the main reasons this movie works for me is the world that it lives in. So I'm going to go down the list really quickly and demonstrate who is behind the scenes making this world feel so lived in. Starting with the writers, David and Janet Peoples. They wrote Unforgiven and Blade Runner. Your DP, Roger Pratt, shot Batman for Tim Burton. Also shot Fisher King and Brazil for Terry Gilliam. Production designer Jeff Beecroft worked on A Quiet Place recently, Dances with Wolves, and The Game. Set decoration was Crispian Salas, who worked on Gladiator, Aliens, and Event Horizon. And you can't forget the strings and accordion score by a guy named Paul Buckmaster, who really crushed this whole thing and gave a haunting backdrop. He didn't really do a whole lot in his career other than this, but uh, this was definitely a gold star for his effort. I know you have things like inflation and stuff to account for, but they made this for a budget of $29 million. A lot of the actors came in to work with Gilliam because they wanted to, and so they worked for less than what they normally would. Uh, it's worth noting that this grossed $170 million at the box office, plus the $4 I just paid to rent it, so uh, good on them. They're doing pretty well. It is worth mentioning that Brad Pitt hadn't quite become the Hollywood superstar that we know him as today. In the time that they shot this movie and the time that it was released, Brad Pitt had things like Interview with the Vampire, Legends of the Fall, and Seven all get released in that uh, interim. So Gilliam got the benefits of getting a pre-crushing it Brad Pitt of sorts. Also, I want to take a quick minute and talk about Bruce Willis. Bruce Willis was always my chosen action hero of sorts. He always has this begrudging, goddammit mentality where he's dragged into some bullshit that he didn't want to get into in the first place, and I love that about him. Every time I see him in a movie, he just looks bummed out, like, goddammit. All right, like he had other plans he was supposed to go do, and this film was no different. Uh, he kind of has that tone throughout. That's kind of his shtick, and I love him for it. 
With all that said, I do think it's Brad Pitt's performance that everybody remembers about this movie. Uh, he plays an insane person or a you know someone that's struggling with mental disability of sorts, and he's put into a asylum. Uh, that's where Bruce Willis catches up with him after being de- deemed crazy, thinking he's a time traveler, trying to stop a plague. And it's in these moments that this film really shines and excels. I even read online that Brad Pitt refrained from smoking, which is how he got all the nervous tics and the big bug eyes and just acting crazy and zany because he was nicking real bad. God, I love actors' choices sometimes and how they get these performances out of uh, themselves and out of others. Great. It's in these moments in the asylum that I just mentioned that something really stood out to me, and that is Dutch angles. For those who don't know, Dutch angles is when they skew the camera to one side or the other, giving you a diagonal plane of sorts. It's one of those techniques as a camera op or DP that I think when you're young, you just overuse because it's something that you learn that you can do kind of like slow motion and then you beat people over the head with it. And then you kind of relegate it as a tool in your toolbox, kind of like a cement trowel that is only meant for a very specific use and to be taken out when needed. I feel like I saw them a lot more in the 90s than I do now, but I will say Roger Pratt, the DP, knew when to use them. It stood out very blatantly to me at first, but then I started to realize that the crazier and more insane things were getting on screen, the more the camera was tilting to try to like off put me and kind of set me in a certain mindset of sorts and, and make me feel a little crazy. And I got to say, it really worked for me. Obviously, watching any film like this post-COVID about a plague and the worldwide response to such a thing kind of makes a movie like this hit differently. I think about movies like Outbreak, for example, that showed a scientific calculated response over time where humanity came together to solve a common problem. But as I watched this film, it occurred to me that this zany shit is actually the way it really goes down. We just lived through it. We saw the way it went down. Nobody has a response or an answer. Let's take Aliens, for example. What you want to happen in a scenario like that is like Independence Day, with Bill Pullman coming out all heroic, giving this presidential speech in front of everybody. Will Smith and Jeff Goldblum stealing an alien spacecraft and saving the day and smoking a cigar while we win victory, blah, blah, blah. What I've come to learn is the way it actually goes down is Mars Attacks, where we have zero ideas of what to do. And you got Jack Nicholson and Pierce Brosnan arguing with Rod Steiger over who to nuke and what to do. And we got two out of three branches of government acting for us. And that ain't bad. I'm intentionally staying away from a lot of the plot of this because there's a lot of spoilers I could get into. Needless to say, there's a lot of time travel, a lot of back and forth, but just know this movie was so well executed. Go see it if you haven't. If you have and you're like me and you haven't seen it in a long time, it deserves a revisit. My two takeaways from this film after letting it sit for so many years and giving it a good solid rewatch is that you can't change the past, you can only learn from it. And in the end, we're just a bunch of idiot humans doing our best under the given circumstances. My three adjectives for this film are science nonfiction. For all the reasons I just stated, I wish this wasn't the way that it was, but it is the way it is. And this is the world we live in. This is the way we respond to crisis. This movie was way closer to reality than I wanted it to feel. So though we're sneaking this in our sci-fi run for Esoterica Cinema, we're calling this science nonfiction. Also, 90s goodness. This was not a slick movie. It was filled with practical effects and sets. The sound was a little lackluster at times. This movie was made for 1995. It feels like it lives in 1995. It felt like I was time traveling along with Bruce Willis to 1995, and I enjoyed it because of it. And lastly, Zany. Again, this is a movie directed by Terry Gilliam, a filmmaker steeped in the history of Monty Python, Brazil, Fisher King, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. He's great at creating a world where you're never really sure what's going to happen next. It's almost slapsticky or cartoonish in a way. Feels very similar to like a Tim Burton film, like Edward Scissorhands or something like that. I'm giving this movie a solid A-. This is a movie worth revisiting. If you haven't seen it in a while, please go back and rewatch it. 
It holds up. I swear, this isn't a nostalgia bomb. This is a good movie. That's my time for 12 Monkeys for the week. Thanks for listening to our short-form content. We got season three cooking for you. Release date coming soon, I promise. We're recording episodes for that as we speak, or you listen, and I speak. But hey, maybe next week you can speak, and I'll listen. We'll mix things up a bit. We'll see how that works. But thanks a lot for joining us. Come back next week for another episode of Esoterica Cinema.